Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. Today, I have Danielle Lambert, who's the founder of Snout School, a place for driven veterinary professionals to learn marketing and communication skills, as well as supporting women within veterinary medicine. Co-founder of the 7S Society, which is all about decoding the secrets of veterinary practice ownership and building for the next generation of practice owners. For anyone that listens to this podcast, you know that I'm a huge fan of practice ownership, so that is awesome. And Danielle is also the VP of Business Development for Whisker Cloud, which builds custom vet-specific websites that actually work. I think that's important. If you have a website, you want to make sure it works, right? Danielle, in my opinion, is a certified badass as well when it comes to building a brand and a reputation and so much of what she does. And I've been wanting to do this podcast for a while. Glad we were able to do it with a move and so many different things going on in 2020, just being 2020. But with all of that, thank you, Danielle, so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I sound like I have multiple personalities when anybody introduces me, but I swear <laughs> it's just one Danielle, just, you know, a little bit. <laughs> you keep yourself busy for sure. And one of the big things that I wanted to do, and we talked about this right before we hit record, is I want to make this podcast different because you've done some other podcasts. I would highly, highly encourage people to, if you enjoy this conversation, go back and listen to some of the other podcasts that Danielle's been on. I can link to those in the show notes because I think there's a lot of good information that's out there and you've shared a lot of your journey and why veterinary medicine and some of those different things. And it's like, that's out there. Let's talk about something different. And yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it because I think the reason why it sounds like I have multiple personalities is because I have multiple interests. So I fall down all sorts of different rabbit holes all the time. And most commonly when I am talking to different veterinary podcast, it totally does end up being about like, okay, how do we market your veterinary clinic? But I love talking about so many other things. So I'm excited to kind of jump in with you. <laughs> yeah. And you had a really good recent LinkedIn post I wanted to bring up and kick things off, which was all around building a brand, but also contributing to vet med. And you kind of saying those aren't mutually exclusive. Can you share a little bit about that? And I look at brand building as something that's so critical, regardless of what industry It has no bearing on just being in vet med, but I would just love to hear your feedback, why you put that out there. And I think it was a great post. Yeah. So I had shared that mostly because I see in veterinary medicine, there's this huge trend toward more personal brands being built. And I'm a huge fan of personal brands. Like I really got my start as a consultant working for the Dr. Andy Work brand, building out that brand for four years, helping them launch Uncharted and creating and crafting that brand. So I really am a fan of what the personal brand can do for you. And I've seen what it can do for somebody through my own eyes, because I would not have the career that I have today had I not built a personal brand and built personal connections with people that would serve me in the future. So I had shared that the other day, because I think as this stuff gets more popular, right, we have kind of this idea of like celebrity veterinarians or influencers. And I think that those are starting to get like kind of a negative connotation with them. I think of somebody like, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but like Dr. Evan Anton is like very much so that celebrity vet, right? And so people see that and they think that all the vet students that want to build brands are doing it just so that they can be as famous as Evan. And I think that that does a disservice to what brands can really be about that kind of thought process. It really does a, a disservice because to me, personal branding, whether or not you like it, you have a personal brand, like you just do because you have some sort of presence online and it's up to you to manage it. And I just work with so many personal brands in this space 
I have a group of 10 women that I've been coaching for a whole year on this stuff. And I also work with veterinary professionals throughout the year in a boot camp kind of style thing about personal branding. And I find so many people that want to do really good stuff with their personal brand. They want to achieve something more than just fame. They're trying to educate or connect or change something. And I think that that is the kind of impact a personal brand can have. And I kind of just wish we'd start to see it that way more, I guess. hundred percent, hundred percent. And I think even in today's culture, regardless of what you buy or what you're looking for, branding is more relatable than some big corporate logo or slogan. People want to buy from people from that standpoint and they connect better that way. And I've seen that in financial services. I've seen that in so many different industries where people carve out their own piece. And it's like, yeah, you might work for this larger corporation or this larger entity, but then you have the individual brands within it and people connect and resonate there. And that's how you can build and foster that relationship. So it's not going away. I guess the question is what constitutes a good brand? And for those that want to start thinking about, you talked about the boot camp and some of the things that you do. Obviously, that's a great way to start if someone's really interested. But again, you talked about if you have an online presence, you have a brand, like it or not, positive, negative, what makes a good brand? I think a good brand is one that has clear values and clear goals. And I think it's one that is also authentic and transparent. I kind of use this example a lot because I come from a practice management background, right? I managed my family's practice for like five years and was like a CSR and floor sweeper for a billion years prior to that. But I really use this example a lot. When I started snout school and I started consulting, I 100% could have built, there was nobody at the time talking about practice management type topics online, right? This is like 2013. There was hardly anybody doing a really great job of that, especially on social media. So I could have built a brand that was about practice management, but it would have been inauthentic to me and my skill sets. I like to always encourage people to build a brand that, plays to their skills in a very like authentic way. So Snout School became about marketing your veterinary practice because that was the part of management that I was good at. I was terrible with OSHA and details and I don't know, like inventory. I hate inventory. So I built a brand that was based on that. And I think that that is what is super important. You want to build something that is very authentic to who you are. I think that's what's exciting now that everybody can kind of have a brand. There's such an abundance of opportunity. And I think there's so many chances for people to build something that is really specific to them. You're probably not going to be Marty Becker and be America's vet anymore. That's like not really necessarily a thing as much these days, but you can build a presence that builds out a niche for you. Like I think of somebody like Dr. Ashley Bourgeois that does the derm vet that I work with. That's building out a niche for her. And so I really think that that makes a strong brand as well as having a goal for your brand and having it be a meaningful one that gives back to the community, I think is incredibly important because if your goal is just to get like followers, I always like throw poor figs scrubs under the bus, but not that they're, they're very nice scrubs. I would wear them all day if I was still had to wear scrubs. But if that's your goal, it's just not going to build a strong brand that's going to last over time. It might mean some short-term success. If you can look cute in some scrubs and post a picture with a puppy, that might serve you for the next couple of years and make you a little bit of money. But I really like more so to look at what can you really set a goal on that aligns with your values and your strengths and that can help serve the community. And that I think is what creates not just a good brand, but a lasting brand. So outside of veterinary medicine, what's an underrated brand that you like or someone that you follow on social media that you think just does a fantastic job? 
I've got like a couple and I'm like, (laughs) I'm like a little obsessed with a lot of different things. So I'm like trying to think of who I would call out as my ideal option. I think that I tend to look at people who are doing something like productive. So I really like her name's Jamila Jamil. She is an activist. And I think that she uses her platform for good. She's like a former model. She's beautiful. She has that going for her. But she really uses the attention that she's able to get online to affect change and share content that people I think really need to see. So I love brands like that, or I love brands that are trying to kind of do something that gives back to a community in a unique way. I think of things like, I'm trying to think of my favorite one, probably I'm like, Oh, I'm so torn. One that I really like that's kind of out of left field here is the brand love wellness, just in terms of their messaging and things like that. It's like vitamins for women, but they did an amazing job of tying in stories and sharing why it's important and doing some really good things there. So yeah, I don't know. It kind of depends. Like when it comes to personal brands, I could go on and on about different Instagram accounts that I like. And when it comes to actual branding, there's a few I like, but it's a big question. How do you also think about that where you decouple the personal brand and then maybe the business? So if I'm a clinic owner and I'm trying to build a a brand, Mm -hmm. am I building my brand for the business? Am I building a brand for the individual, can you yeah. have those both work together? Obviously, you want them to work together. You wouldn't want them to compete because that would be some confusion for people looking at it. But how do you think about that element? I think that's a really good question. Now, I really work with a lot of people who are trying to launch a veterinary practice. And so they are maybe just wrapping up vet school, just recently graduated. They want to open a veterinary practice. And so right now they want to build a personal brand so that then when they launch the practice, they will have that built-in audience. I think that the best example I've seen of this is Dr. Belinda Parsons. She's Dr. Belinda the Vet on Instagram. She's somebody that like, I've known Belinda for a while and she's been working, working, working on building a brand. So when she went to launch her brick and mortar practice, she had that built-in audience. So I think that you can do both. I think Dr. Cody Krillman's doing a really great job right now leading up to the launch of his new practice, FenVet, with doing this as well you can craft something that is going to explain what your values are off the bat so that then when you go to hire and recruit people to work for you or to attract clients for that practice, then already like people know what you're about. So I think that's kind of the overlap. Like you can totally have both. You can have a more personal brand and then you can have a brand for your clinic, but there needs to be that shared overlap in terms of values and goals. Again, I'm going to keep saying those words. (laughs) It's so interesting because it used to be like you sell stuff and you build an audience like these brands over time, they just grew big enough and then you have the audience. Now it's, you can build an audience and then you can come back and say, this is what I'm doing. This is how you can support me. And I think that is such a interesting dynamic where technology and social media has made the world a lot smaller where you don't need $100,000 to go pay someone to like put out radio ads or TV. And that just seems so silly to us now knowing what's at our disposal, but it still can be overwhelming or difficult where people think, oh, the train has left the station. Everyone's already built all this stuff. It's like, whoa, 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 we're so early. You can still do your own thing (laughs) so early with all of this. 
I think it's a good point because I get that a lot from like veterinary students like, oh, I can't do this because everybody else is already doing it. And you're like, no, if you really stick to your niche, your local area, your strengths, like you don't need to have 20,000 Instagram followers to be effective. Like if you have 750 people in your local area that know, like, and trust you and want to come to see you as a veterinarian, that's super powerful. So I do think it is powerful for that reason. And like you said, from the financial side of things, that speaks to me because that was really why I started Snout School the way I did was because I was a practice manager. I was making 18 bucks an hour. It was not a luxurious practice manager role because when you work for your dad, he's like, no, that's fine. You're fine. Did you do money? <laughs> like you don't get a really great salary from your parents. So I really had to bootstrap things. Right. And so that's like another reason why I love social is because if you put that sweat equity in, it will pay off. I think of somebody again, Cody Krillman, I've watched him hustle for like seven years building his brand. He was one of my first like internet friends. And he went from just like hustle, hustle, hustle on the internet to being a partner in a practice group up in Canada. And because of that, like he was making, I think upwards of like $700,000 a year at a point because of the business that he had grown. He grew that business, I think from like 2 million to $10 million in the time that he was there through the sweat equity of social media. And so then all of a sudden he's making a great living, <laughs> just putting all his financials out there, but he talks about this stuff publicly. And I think that that is kind of the cool thing about it because it has that equalizer to it. You could compete with things, you know, big corporate stuff that have maybe bigger ad spend than you if you put in the sweat equity. And the bigger corporate entities, and again, not say anything negative about consolidators and someone that wants to be an associate for their whole career, but you think about being able to differentiate and be different than kind of the messaging that a large hospital is going to have. They're going to, it has to go through so many layers and you might not have the same flexibility where independently you can say whatever you want to say, again, within reason to not hurt yourself, but be a truly authentic, like you talked about before, which is in a world where everything's instant and relationships are hard to get like really deep ingrained. Yeah. If you can be super authentic people, that resonates with like, wow, that's different. Doctor. Yeah. So like they talk this way. That's so different. I've never heard a veterinarian say that. And if you do something like that, I think that can build so much more trust and credibility. So a hundred percent. And we connect with people over like the weirdest stuff. You might build a personal brand and you might talk about the yoga or bar studio that you like to go to. And if somebody's like, oh, that veterinarian, she goes to the same bar studio as me. And all of a sudden she's going to want to go see you because she feels like you guys are like similar. And that makes them feel, again, that no like and trust kind of vibe that we always talk about in marketing. It accelerates it so much for sure. And I definitely do agree. That's one of the things that I think corporations, they definitely have the budget to advantage, but corporations also, they just are slower moving on the stuff you know, the social media posts have to go through 300 different people before it gets approved to post. And that's definitely where people that are in more private practices have an advantage. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about snout school and I want to come back a little bit to that just with the creation and kind of the journey there. Because you have quite the squad at Snout School right now, which is really awesome to see. But how has the business grown? What's on the horizon? You want to share a little bit about what's the latest and greatest with Snout School? Yeah. Oh, of course. I'm a terrible secret keeper. Um, <laughs> I like can't keep a secret worth anything. So we are really shifting to focus more and more about empowering women in their careers. That's been kind of like a slow and steady 
change over time. But I think the marketing and the communication is such a big part of that. But it's also giving women the opportunity to create educational products and sell them online and make money off of that because it's something that has helped me so much to have that kind of income in my life. So we're starting to share that more and more. So yeah, you're going to see more educational stuff from us in different topics in the future is probably the biggest thing that I can allude to. And the other big thing that is coming is I am merging my business with my mentee, Cheyenne Flirks, who has been an amazing social media manager for the industry for a couple years now. And I've just watched her grow. And we're starting to help women manage their brands because it's a lot to do. Okay. Cause like we're talking about personal branding here and I said sweat equity a few times and I meant sweat equity. Like it is not easy work to run a whole brand by yourself. So we're definitely trying to get to a place where we can teach women how to monetize, help them monetize, and then also support them in running their brands. I love that. Congratulations on the partnership. I went through a partnership merger earlier this year, it takes a lot of time. There's a lot of late nights and conversations (laughs) and trying to figure out like, how does this all work? How does it come together and be something that's greater with two people versus just one? And that's really exciting when you can find someone else to kind of share the burden, but also support you in ways where every day is not going to be rainbows and butterflies. But when you have someone else that can encourage you and pick you up and maybe they're having a good day and you don't like that, there's so much power in that. So that's awesome to see. It's huge. I think a lot of times like And I've talked about this a little bit because I've totally perpetuated this where it's like this idea of you have to hustle, 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 do everything yourself, work hard, work hard, work all the time, right? And it's not sustainable. And I think especially in 2020, we're really realizing what matters. And that was a big thing for me was I was like, listen, like I want to be able to have some level of work-life balance. Like I can't be doing everything. And it was hard for me to let some things go. But I also am like, hey, listen, you're always advocating for people sticking to their strengths. Cheyenne has other strengths. There's some other women that we're going to be involving on our team that have other strengths that I really don't have. And so I think it's going to just kind of help us grow in the end. But it is, you're so right. It's so scary initially to get all that all merged and everything. And it's stressful. It's like getting married to somebody or something. Like you got to have all these open, honest conversations and make sure you're on the same page. <laughs> Absolutely. It is totally like a marriage from the standpoint of you can't then go make all the decisions. Like you have to run that by yes. your partner. You need to have those conversations. You can't say we're going to go this direction. Might be the right direction, but you need to at least have a conversation yeah, around yeah. it. Oh my gosh. No, I have such an appreciation for that from my 7S co-founders besides Cody, Dr. Dan Markwalder and Dr. Adam Conroy that I know you're familiar with. They really taught me that business partners are like very much so a married couple. Like they crack me up because they will fight and they will go through everything, but they have each other's backs. Like they are so funny. Like when I was helping them build their brand, getting them to align on what their like story was, like this three hour conversation because they had a different version. It's like if you asked an old married couple how they met and each person had like a different version of how they met. (laughs) But yeah, 100%, you got to have somebody that is that dedicated and on board with you. And it's something as people build personal brands, find other people that you can kind of lean on that are maybe doing the same thing. So you have some kind of support network don't do it all by yourself. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's trying to find something that can complement what you are good at mm-hmm. too. Like you can't have the exact same overlap because you're going to want to do the same things. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with having similar skill sets, but you want to have something that can kind of complement to maybe do some of the things that you aren't as good at. And that's what I've seen. The 
best resource, and I don't know if you use any resources or just talk to different people, best resource that helped us through our merger and partnership was the Partnership Charter by David Gage. It's a great book. It kind of is all around setting expectations in a partnership from day one or fixing the one you're in. He basically was a, I think he was moderator and that's the wrong, mediator. There we go. Mediator (laughs) through all these different failed business partnerships. And he just took all that information and was like, this is what I've seen. This is how you can talk about it before it gets that bad. (laughs) So fix it or have open, honest conversations. And it's a really good book. It's easy. I'll link to it. I think I've talked about it multiple times, but it's such a good book. So <laughs> I as just you jotted look at, it down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll send it to you after we're done too. But yeah, it's like $10 on Amazon. Great spend. And it will certainly be helpful. Thinking about switching gears from the partnership and it's not school. When you think about like online marketing in veterinary medicine, it has a long way to go to kind of catch up with the rest of the world, right? Like just business in general. And I know when I chatted with Dr. Peter Weinstein, he talked about veterinary medicine is competing with so many other services for dollar spend for people, but there's not an infinite resource of money. And so you're still competing. Where is kind of the state of marketing and veterinary medicine in your opinion? And also where do you think it needs to go? And is there an industry that you would try to say, yeah, if you look at this industry, they're doing a really good job and you can take some of those tactics or ideas. I always talk about swiping things, steal with integrity and pride. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. Just look at other industries that are doing really good things and then bring it into yours. Don't always look for inspiration in your own industry. Right. I think that that is a really good question. I think we always need to remember that we are a service-based industry at our core. And I think that gets forgotten a lot. In terms of where we're at, I think we're genuinely still in our infancy because we still are dealing with a lot of the old guard thinking that it's inappropriate to even like market or advertise yourself or our dear Canadian friends, like a lot of their VMAs block them from being able to advertise themselves in any way, shape or form. And I think that we need to kind of have this realization that again, building a brand, it's not all for these narcissistic buy, 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 sell, sell, sell kind of reasons. We are in this more, it's relationship building to build a brand. And I think the more that we see that the more authentic marketing that we're going to kind of get to. But yeah, veterinary practices, they're still at this point that like they stopped spending money on typical advertising. Thank God, most of them. The last person I found that was still spending a significant amount of money on the yellow pages was like four years ago, but I still find them occasionally. But we're still at this point where we haven't reallocated that money and that effort. And we also haven't realized that we need to up our game. It was typical to say like, oh, 1% of your gross revenue should go into advertising. Now, finally, some of my near and dear practice management consultant friends are saying higher numbers, like 2 to 3%. And the thing is that I don't really know where that money is getting spent, to be honest. I see them like maybe you're paying $199 a month to Whisker Cloud for your website, right? But then I don't know what else people are spending money and time on. Like we need to really look at where we can compete with these other industries. And to call out an industry that I think that we could kind of look at a little bit more service-based stuff in general. Like I think a lot of people that do different beauty care providers, for example, like different estheticians, hairstylists, stuff like that. I think they do a really good job of showing their clients, showing their work, connecting with them and reaching out to them. Like if I post a picture of myself on Instagram and I tag it in a location, all of a sudden I get a bunch of hairstylists in my DMs being like, oh, your dog is so cute. And I'm like, why is a veterinarian not telling me my dog is cute? <laughs> it's things like that, that I think veterinary medicine needs to learn to allocate a little bit more 
time and effort into what it really takes to do good social media and like the real authentic interaction part of it, that's a hard sell. Because in a veterinary clinic, if you're not actively holding a fractious cat, you're not working (laughs) in a lot of people's mindsets. And it's like, you might need somebody to look like they're dilly dallying on their phone, but really be chit chatting with the local community on Instagram and things like that. So I think we have a lot to do in that regard. I think we could be spending a lot more money on advertising like Google and social ads. And I think we could also be doing a lot better with email and text marketing. So yeah, basically look at almost any industry and they're doing better than us though, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. And I think the point on the the one or 2% spend on marketing is very much just what's ingrained in people's minds. But if you look at other industries, you know, especially in tech, they're spending like 10, 15, 20%. Again, I know you can't do that in veterinary medicine. Yeah. There's some reason for it. But right now having conversations around marketing, everyone's so busy, right? Pandemic puppies and everyone's coming in and we're just busting the seams. I've seen people put on their websites they're not taking. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like, okay, if I'm that person, it's trying to understand, okay, maybe I'm going to cut back my marketing. But a lot of times marketing is not for today. It's six, 12, 18 months in the future. So you want to build that over time. It's not hey, I put an ad up and I got three new clients from it. Like it's so hard to measure that and see it quickly. And so you don't want to just not do it for years. And then all of a sudden be like, I need to turn this on. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's what I see. It's a reactive thing so often for a veterinary clinic. It's like, we are slow today. It is an emergency. What could I do right now to fix it? And it's like, you needed to be keeping up with this stuff all along. I think if I had to say what was like the biggest missed opportunity in marketing in veterinary medicine, it isn't necessarily like platform specific. It's more people really focus on new clients, new clients, new clients, always. It's like shiny object syndrome, right? Like that's a joke among speakers that if you want to get people to show up to your talk, say that your talk is about new clients and you like bait and switch them and tell them like, oh, actually it's going to be about client retention. But that's the biggest missed opportunity to me right now. A lot of people are freaking out. They're so busy with just new visits and new patients and pandemic puppies. But the thing is like, what's your average transaction looking like? What's your client retention looking like? I really think that we need to remember that we could be doing a lot of things that drive revenue and drive compliance with our existing clients right? Like, great, you're busting at the seams and you're super busy. But what's your heartworm compliance like? Dogs on average usually get like three, four months of heartworm prevention. What does that look like at your practice? Because all of a sudden, if you focus on that kind of a thing, you can market the hell out of it to your existing clients. And all of a sudden that can drive revenue up in a more passive way. Like, I think we need to kind of expand our idea of what it means to make money for our hospital. It's not always just exams and vaccines and surgeries and services like that. Like if you aren't driving compliance on these things, you're missing an opportunity to make money in a way that isn't as labor intensive for sure. So I think little things like that need to kind of be unpacked (laughs) for sure. Yeah, I think that's a great point. We talked about different channels Mm -hmm. and do you think that there's a channel that's underutilized, overutilized in veterinary medicine, or just any thoughts across where is time well spent or poorly spent? So I think when you kind of said, what's the state that we're at with vet med marketing, I think we're finally at this point where I think I have a figure on the pulse of what people are doing, because I have a group of like 8,000 people. They seem to be bought into the idea that you need to be on Facebook, but they finally just caught on to like, okay, we need to have a Facebook. 
honestly, I feel like the ship has sailed in a lot of ways for getting free attention on Facebook. So I really would encourage veterinary hospitals to look at Instagram. It is not people still think it's like for a really young demographic and like the largest demographic growing on it is women that are like over 45. <laughs> I always wonder the older I get, I'm like, what's the cutoff where I'm not so young anymore? Like people are like, oh, all these young people are just using this. And I'm like, well, I'm 33 and I haven't touched Facebook for like 10 years except for work. I've been on Instagram. I have plenty of money to spend on my dog. Why don't you guys want to talk to me there? You know? So I think Instagram is probably the number one place that is just underutilized because I don't see people using it effectively still. It's like, oh, we posted a puppy picture. Great. But what's your call to action? How are you driving business with that? How are you building relationships and community with that so that you're driving more referrals? How are you networking with influencers in your area to get more referrals? I think that's really still very untapped. And I honestly can't believe I'm saying that because it's like Instagram's massive. <laughs> like it's not a secret at all. But I think probably Instagram and then also I think just genuinely effective email marketing does not really exist in our space overall. It's like sales emails and bleh. And I think there's a lot of missed opportunity with really genuinely effective email marketing that builds a relationship and makes people feel more connected to you versus just being like, we have a sale on whatever online store you use today. I don't like that stuff. Yeah. What about, and this is something I wanted to ask you about. I just look at LinkedIn and you can target people within, mm -hmm. let's say, hey, I'm sitting in Carmel, Indiana today having this podcast. If I'm a veterinarian, I could say, okay, I want to find anyone that works in this area, that lives in this area and just connect with them and just share content and education on that platform. I kind of think that I've never seen a veterinarian locally do anything like that. It'd be so different where someone's on there for business stuff, but then if they odds are they have the pet, right? They're looking through it and they're like, shoot, that's interesting. And yeah. just sharing it that way. I don't know if it's worth time or not. It's just something that has been on my mind that I was like, I want to just bring this up to Danielle. Yeah. What she thinks. So here's the thing. If I was going to use LinkedIn, I would come at it from the angle of being a local business owner and connecting with other local business owners, right? Think about you've got local insurance brokers and plumbers and whatever, like people that offer all different kinds of services that are on LinkedIn. Real estate agents would be a huge one to connect with because if people are coming into a community and they need a veterinarian, a real estate agent could definitely be your friend. So I think that I would come at it from that angle if I were to go LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn with my personal brands. I do tend to recommend building a LinkedIn presence. It doesn't come up as much with the veterinary clinics, honestly, because it takes so much just to get them to do like a Facebook. <laughs> like, again, that's where I don't feel like we are putting enough sweat equity and like the time and allocating funds to just paying people to help us with this, whether it's in-house or outsource. There's so many opportunities. You just have to be willing to be a little creative and commit to them. So I love that idea. I think you could just totally, totally do something good with LinkedIn. It just needs to be local and like I said, kind of connecting with the other local small business owners. Yep. I think consistency is the theme throughout this. You can't do it and expect it to happen overnight. You have to be consistent with it over time. And Huge. Interesting. Consistency is a big one and it's hard, right? I'll be the first person like the last couple of weeks with my move and everything. I'm like, I fall off. And so I think sometimes people get scared where they think consistency has to be 
perfect all the time. If you fall off for like two weeks, the world isn't going to end. Your audience will still be there, but you need to at least commit to coming back and showing up and adding value pretty frequently for sure. And that's kind of where I see vet clinics struggle too, because honestly, they're so busy and they're getting pulled in different directions and they don't prioritize the marketing because it is very much so always just reactionary, reactionary, right? And it's like, we're busy today. So screw your marketing thing. That's a nice idea. We need you to help with this. And they like pull these people away. I constantly see it. Like people get assigned to be the marketing person at their clinic and they aren't allocated any time to do it. (laughs) So it kind of, which frustrates me from a manager standpoint. I'm like, you're setting people up to fail. Honestly, you could do so many different things. There's not one right answer. It's the thing that you're going to be able to commit to, I guess, is probably the best option for you in terms of a platform. Yeah. And switching gears, again, there's no way I do like awkward transitions sometimes, but just (laughs) switching from like marketing and kind of what we're talking about. One of the things that I've appreciated and seen, and I think you've done a fantastic job is you've been a vocal person when it comes to racial equality and pushing for change within vet med, which again, I've appreciated. I've seen that. I wanted to ask just, you know, you've done the t-shirts, which is there's no space in veterinary medicine for racism. Have you always been in, I guess, this passion? Has it changed? Has it evolved? Can you just talk a little bit about what you're doing in that role? Yeah. I love this topic because I think it's incredibly important. And I think it's something that we need to get comfortable with talking about. A couple months back when we had all the protests after George Floyd's murder and all of these things that were going on in the world, a lot of people in vet med were like, we don't need to talk about this. Let's not get political at work. And I was like, no, no, (laughs) this isn't political. This is about treating people equally. And I think that is absolutely critical in an industry that really struggles with team culture and a lot of negativity. A lot of that's going to be sourced back to the fact that you need to look at this stuff and you need to think about what's going on with it. The t-shirts have been an amazing success. We donate all the profits of those t-shirts in the Snout School store to Black DVM Network. And we've raised a couple thousand dollars for them already, which is just amazing to me. I didn't expect it to kick off like it did. It got so popular. We have like knockoff shirts. I was like, I did not expect this to happen. But in terms of it being something that whether or not it's always been on top of mind for me, I am somebody that I hate injustice of any sort. Like I hate things to be unfair. Everything needs to be balanced. I'd get really woo woo with you and tell you that my astrological moon is a Libra and I like things in balance. Um, (laughs) I'll spare you the horoscope reading. But I genuinely am somebody that always cares about that stuff. My initial drive for a career path was going to be law. I have a political science degree. And so I genuinely do care but I didn't always get it right. Okay. I can think of like two years ago, I was at a women's leadership conference and I looked around and I was like, everyone here is white. Okay. You picked a hundred women in veterinary medicine to be leaders. And there's like one black woman, like pretty much everybody is white. And I started to kind of just visually see it because it's very visually apparent in veterinary medicine. And I wanted to fix it, but I was so naive and just didn't know what I was doing at all and just kind of was always looking to, when I was recruiting women into our snout squad mastermind, I was like, I'm looking for women of color that want to be involved in this, right? And I was so, so super naive because I was like, you can't just come out and be like, 
I want women of color in my squad. It looks like you're going for the diversity hire. Like that was a terrible, <laughs> it was not my intention, but it wasn't a good strategy. I learned in the last couple of years, thanks to people like Dr. Lisa Greenhill and others that have been willing to kind of share education with us. And even though (laughs) I do not think it is Black people's role to be educating us, there's Google for that. But through the women that have just been so supportive and helpful with their time and their resources, I've really learned that you got to walk the walk on it. And so it's not just about coming out and being like, I would love a Black veterinarian in my scout squad. That's great. But what have I actually done to support that community? And that's the piece that I was missing. So this year, I've really tried to make a big effort to think about ways to actually support that community. And what Dr. T.R. Price was doing at Black DVM Network just stood out to me. And also, I just have a near and dear place in my heart for a female entrepreneur that is like running stuff by herself. Like she's built that by herself. And she went to UConn like me. So I was like, I want to help her. And so putting your money where your mouth is kind of thing and being like, okay, hey, here are these shirts. And I'm just going to give that money to Tiara so she can do what she wants to do with it because she is a black woman. She knows how to support that community. Why not empower her even further to do so? So that has kind of been the mindset shift that I needed to have. So by no means have I been some sort of magical expert on this and I'm always still learning. But I think that it is so critical for us to have these conversations just because the more vocal that I got about it, the more people started to share stories with me that made me realize how deep these problems are. People who have faced a lot of different kinds of discrimination in their life from Black veterinary students telling me that they went to vet hospitals and tried to apply for externships and they told them, oh, we don't have any spots. And the next week, their white classmate has a spot. Things like that, that are just super disheartening to realize you live in a little bubble and then you realize like, oh, wait, outside of this bubble, we have some serious issues. Um, so I really hope that veterinary medicine takes the time to look at the issue. And instead of just blaming people of color for not getting involved in the industry, maybe seeing that it being an inhospitable environment for Black people and people of color might be at the root of the issue. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I could, I'll talk, I'm like, <laughs> I could talk no, about this forever. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. And yeah, Dr. Price, having her on the podcast was great. I loved talking to her and I'm thankful that she was willing to come on and chat and share her story. Because again, similar things where you don't really realize different pieces of that how it looks for her. And it's just like the whole idea of exposure. And I've seen that again in financial services, it's pretty much an old white guy kind of (laughs) community and it's hard. And I have friends that have told stories about, you know, I didn't get the opportunity or I did this or that. And it's like, well, yeah, it is just such a different, different world where you don't get the benefit of the doubt a lot of times. And you have to have everything perfect to get the same shot that someone else might've already gotten. Right. So yeah. Yeah. Got to have the conversation. Always a work in progress, trying to get better. Uh, Just, you know, care for people, do what you can. And I like what you said, like actually do something. Don't just talk about it. I think that's my biggest struggle is like, people are going to talk about That's great. Like it's cool to get on Instagram and put a black screen up there, but like, okay, like what are you actually doing beyond that? Like that's the thing that everyone else is doing, but show me, show me. And that's the key. No, you got to be mindful of it. And it's hard and it's awkward sometimes and it's uncomfortable. But, you know, we just recruited our first batch of student ambassadors like a couple of weeks ago. We have our first meeting with them coming up. And it was something that then all of a sudden I realized I have to be intentional and say to the vet student that was running the ambassador program, I was like, I can't 
be a whole batch of white girls. Like we need to actually make sure this is representative and not just representative of the 2% of vet med that is not white, but representative of like what we want to see in the future. So making it super diverse and inclusive like that, I think was super, super important just because I've learned how much that representation matters. And it was such a no brainer thing to me because I I get it. I'm like, oh, geez, when I got into consulting and everybody else was like an old dude or like, (laughs) and I was like, oh, this is gonna be awkward. It doesn't feel comfortable to be the outsider. And if I feel like an outsider as a white woman, I'm like, I can't even come close to imagining how somebody would feel in this industry as a person of color. So I think that that is why it matters. And I think that there's so much more, like I said, to unpack there. But I think at the end of the day, I really am passionate about being somebody who is a good leader in this space. So it's been a big learning curve for me, but I think it was the right thing to learn about as a leader in the space. Yep. As we wind down, I've kind of switched the question. If we've already covered it, we don't necessarily need to go any deeper, but soapbox topics, something that is near and dear to your heart that maybe we haven't <laughs> touched on or that you'd like more people to understand. Oh, if I had a soapbox topic, kind of besides, I mean, I totally just want to ask my soapbox about um, yeah. racism and veteran medicine and I could go on forever on that. But my soapbox topic at the end of the day is really just that veterinary medicine does not have to be this one path kind of career for people. I think it is so important to realize that there are roles for so many different types of people in this space. Veterinary medicine needs all different kinds of minds and skill sets. And I think it is absolutely critical for us to really start to see that and support it instead of just rewarding like, oh, you got good grades and you're the best surgeon on earth. Like that's the only person that's valuable in our space. No, the person that is great at communication is valuable. The person that can make the branding that looks beautiful is valuable. The person who teaches on subjects that nobody else does is valuable. And I think that that is something that I want to kind of see more of because I've just made up such a bizarre career path for myself, but it's so rewarding. Like you don't have to just follow a typical path. And I love stuff like that. Like I've fallen down a lot of rabbit holes lately and something that might actually be good for your podcast with people who are vet techs that own their own mobile practices and like make great money doing that. And it's like, why can't we talk more about people that are doing different things and that are making decent money and that are happy? I think we'd see a lot more of that if we just started to value everybody's different diverse skill sets. I love it. Yeah. And I will likely be reaching out to you for uh, maybe some (laughs) intros for people to talk to. Again, lastly, for those that don't know you, where do they find more? How do they get in touch? Where can you be found across the uh, World Wide Web? (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. If you want to chit chat with me directly, Instagram's probably best. I'm at Danielle Snout there. And if you're interested in learning more about Snout School and everything that we have to offer, head on over snoutschool.com slash start and you can get our starter guide. We're revamping it right now, but it's going to have all sorts of goodies for you from tips to help you kind of launch your brand to things to kind of support you in building your confidence and all sorts of goodness in there. So that probably is the best place to check us out, snoutschool.com slash start. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time. This was a great discussion. Everything that I hoped it would be. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. 
All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. That'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.